Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Lecture 22, John 15, 2 through 17 and Psalms 80, verse 8. Jesus is the true Israel. So basically, this is number 20. Okay, this is it's actually 21. Okay, this is actually number 21 because I did a little intro, uh, <coughs> so to speak. And, and so you, you've, you've, most of you have been here uh, most of the time. And so we've been discussing the gospel. You should have a very solid picture of what the gospel is. And and it is and it's way more than what we say. It's 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 far more than what we say. Death, burial, resurrection. It is the complete uh, accumulation, which is redundant because I just said complete. It is the complete work of what God the Father has done through His commandments his covenants, and especially through the nation of Israel all the way through time to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, to the birth of Jesus Christ, to the dissension of Jesus Christ, to the death of Jesus Christ, and ascension through Jesus Christ, and 
through the church today. All of this is the gospel. So let me read to you what we've done thus far. And this is, this is powerful. We took five things of the gospel and we explained. Remember, what we're talking about is what if, right? Like this, this is important. What if, and that's basically what would be the message of the New Testament if it consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now watch this here. Week one. We say whatever the gospel is, it's clearly the kingdom. Okay, we got that from Matthew 6, 27 through 34. So, so this is, if you're a note taker or if you listen to this online, uh, when it's available for purchase, you can go back and take these notes. Matthew, well, number one was whatever this gospel is, it is clearly the kingdom of God. And we brought that from Matthew 6, verses 27 through 34. Um, the next thing we say was whatever this gospel is, it is continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, and that's Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And we use the genealogy for that. Uh, well, <clears throat> just about. We, we, we use the temptation, I believe, for that. And next we use the gene gene genealogy. So whatever this gospel is, number three, it is clearly of the genealogy. These guys, these Hebrews, these Jews, these these. Um, um, wonderful children of God, they were so serious about their genealogy. Why? Well, because we explained that, and you can go back to the third lesson, but, but basically, we explained it because they were always pointing backwards to the promise of Abraham. Then we said that whatever this gospel is, it's God on earth. Amen. It's, impo it's important. It's powerful, because it's not just God being up there, and that's not the way to... Uh, that's not the way the Hebrews thought of their God. They thought of their God as always with them. And, and, and here's an important fact about that as we're covering this super long introduction. Here's an important fact about that. When you were back in the day, is what we would say, or in the ancient world or in antiquity, it was customary for your God to be the God of a certain area. So when you got to a new area, you ask the, the, the local people, which gods do you serve here? And so the one true living God, or Yahweh, or God the Father, or your father, however you want to call him, all, all the same thing and even more. He was this God that went everywhere and was everywhere. This was what was so unique and different about the Hebrew God. So when, so when Jonah literally tried to outrun God because the thought was, well, he's just a God of this area. But if I run the Joppa, I can outrun him. But the deal is, God is the God of all areas. Amen. Amen. It's very important. Very important. Okay. So, number five, we talk about Matthew. The gospel is fulfillment and recapitulation. Basically, the gospel is this. God has fulfilled everything he said he was going to do. And Jesus retraces the steps of all Israel. <clears throat> so where they failed, Jesus succeeded. You can look, you can go back to that lesson and get a very deep detail about that. Number six, or in this case, number seven, but we'll say number six because one of those is a little introduction. Number six is, we got from Mark now, <clears throat> heaven and earth and the triumph of the second Adam. So we said, whatever this gospel is, it also includes heaven and earth. All right, not just heaven, not just earth, the bringing of the two of them together and how they're separated and 
the triumph of the second Adam. Now, who is the second Adam? Anybody? Please get this right. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I was going to say, I've been teaching for, for all these weeks and for no reason at all. Good. Amen. Good. Jesus is the second Adam. <clears throat> you can find that Mark 9, 13, but you can also find in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. But we purposely didn't use Romans because like you can you can find it explicitly meaning like G, like uh, Paul literally calls Christ. I, I mean, Jesus, the second uh, Adam and he calls Adam the first Christ. Right. But I purposely didn't use Romans because our whole thesis is. What's the message of the New Testament if it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Okay. All right. So next we have Mark chapter 14. Excuse me. Mark chapter 1. Actually, let me, let me, let me. I don't, I don't know if I start saying these verses. Let me, because I want to do this for the recording. So first it was Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verses 27 through 34. And then it was Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And then it was Matthew chapter 1, verses 1. Then it was Matthew's chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then it was Matthew's chapter three, 5, verses 17 through 19. And then number 6 was Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. And then number 7 is different. Now, now you can, if you're listening, you can pause that and just get those scriptures. <clears throat> number 7 is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Watch it. Jesus is the first to proclaim the gospel. So when you look at that scripture, you find out that Jesus is saying this is the gospel. He gets some instructions and he says the time has come. He said, he said to repent and for the kingdom of God is near. Um, next, we have Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 16. The gospel is relatable. The gospel is secret. And the gospel is war. That's powerful. Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 16. What we said, basically, Jesus Christ made the gospel relatable. But God made the gospel relatable. <clears throat> the gospel was for to everyone to understand, but also for people to have the opportunity to reject as well. That's, that's, that's their business. But the gospel is war. God didn't come down here to be weak and wimpy and just die on a cross. He warred with love and self-sacrifice. And when he comes back again, it's going to be a real war. Amen. Okay, he came as a lamb this time. He's coming as a lion the next. But the gospel is war. It is a violent collision with the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. In this case, the war was fought with love. But love can be quite violent when it is against evil. I don't mean violent in the traditional sense. I mean what the connotation of the word is. Basically, love can destroy all without ever hitting anything. Amen? Without, whatever, without ever cursing, without ever being rude, love can be violent against evil with peace. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> Next we have Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. And what I said was the gospel clearly is the arrival of the king. Okay. <clears throat> Next I said, and we all know who the king is, that's Jesus Christ. Next, I say in Mark chapter 15, verses 9 through 15, is we don't deserve the gospel. Okay, now here we have it. We have 10 lessons right now. We have 10 lessons 
and, they, and, and, and they're powerful. The gospel is the kingdom. The gospel is continuity. The gospel is genealogy. The gospel is God on earth. The gospel is the fulfillment of the recapitulation, fulfillment and recapitulation. The gospel is heaven and earth and the triumph of the second Adam. The gospel is Jesus is the first to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is the relatable. The gospel is secret. The gospel is secret of its war. The gospel is the arrival of the king. And the gospel we do not deserve. And we still have not touched all the gospel. That's, this, this, is why, this is why I've been doing this here for 20 years. I want to let you know, to just say the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it literally takes out every single thing that I just said right here. We haven't even gotten or we haven't even, we haven't even arrived to the resurrection. We haven't arrived to the crucifixion, yet God's already doing plenty of work. Does that make sense? Okay. And this is powerful. Because the gospel is way more than just him dying. It's important that he died. It's important that he rose again. But God was already doing work that was necessary, that was for your benefit. Okay? So, this is, so it's powerful. So in Luke, we have it. We have it in Luke. And here's what we did. In, in, so when we got to Luke, which was be about uh, 15, no, that's 5, 10, 11. But it, 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 we... We've added a few verses. So in Luke, I said, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And then I made you look at 1 Corinthians, verses 15 through 1, 1 through 19. Even though I brought in Paul, I did it <coughs> on purpose because it was just too beautiful to pass up. Basically, the gospel was already being taught. So what I wanted to prove to you guys is that whatever this gospel is, before these gospel writers wrote, it down. Biblical proof says that in Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 when Luke is saying oh Theophilus I come to you I put together all these records. The gospel was already being taught. When these guys wrote the gospel down it wasn't the first time it was heard. They wrote down what they witnessed, what they saw and what was being preached and taught by the church. And before you ever got a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel was already being taught in small communities and individual communities. This is important. The reason why I bring this up is because, and what we're doing since you're just walking in, is we, this is like week 20. It's actually week 21. So I'm actually describing to you every single thing that we've done all 20-something weeks long, which I'll do, uh, I'll do it again in a second, but... Basically, I need you to understand that the gospel was already being taught. It was already sincere. It was, and this is important because if you lived in Matthew's community, then you lived in Matthew's community, you ate in Matthew's community, you did business in Matthew's community, but you didn't have access to Mark's community Amen. because we didn't have internet. There were no Pony Express, no cars. Um, so one community could be hundreds of thousands of miles away. And so you probably only read what Matthew said about the gospel. And so what Mark said, although there's a lot of similarities because Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities, they call them synoptic gospels, you would miss a few things because of what Mark said about his gospel. And this prime example of that, what, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good example of something like that. One gospel, and I, it's Mark, but I, 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 I don't want to get in too deep into it. It'll it cause a, I could teach a whole 16 weeks on that alone. It says you cannot get married while the, I mean, cannot get divorced, while the other says you can get divorced. So if you were in a community 
in which you only had Mark's gospel, you were not getting divorced. It, just, it, it is what it is. You, it, it, bam. You, right? If you were in another community, well, you had a different... Not to say that there's contradiction, that that's, not, that's why I said I teach 16 weeks on this. It's these guys are writers. They're writing the holy word of God. And there was maybe what you call redaction or whatever. That's, just, that's, too, that's too complex for this church statement. But <clears throat> anyway, basically, I need you to know that if you were in different communities, right, you would have not a different theology, but you would get a few different words. So you need to, what's the totality? This is why the early church accepted all four gospels to tell one gospel, because there's not four gospels, there's just one. Amen? Okay, good. So, <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, the promised king. So we say whatever this gospel is, now this, by this time we're starting to reveal what this gospel is. Whatever this gospel is, it is about the, it's not just the king, right? Because we said that earlier, Jesus is the first kind of guy. It's not just the king. So we said in Mark, the arrival of the king. In Luke, I wanted to show you that the king was promised. That's why he arrived. Okay, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62, the cost of the gospel. Whatever this gospel is, it costs a whole lot. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, the intent of the gospel Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49, the proof of the gospel. And then we went a couple of weeks ago, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which is called the prologue of the fourth gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Okay? John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, I say the gospel is grace. Okay? So now we're starting to define it. Jesus is the gospel, and the gospel is grace. There's no way around it, the period. Point blank, it is defined by the gospel itself, the gospel writers, as grace, but not just grace, grace upon top of the grace that you already had. So when people tell you things like, well, the law is the law and such and such, and the law is not grace, no, no, actually, biblically, the law is grace because the Bible calls the law grace. Just because, so, when, so I hear people say the law can't save you. That is, it's both true and not true. It, it can't save us because we were just too ignorant and too disobedient to do right by the law. But in the same respect, when God gave you a chance to have something that's grace, and since he saw you couldn't meet the law, amen, he still allowed for us to have his salvation. And, and so it becomes grace. If God gave you the opportunity to be saved, even if it was with the law, that's grace. Because if we were God, we just killed all of us and started all over with a different creation. Amen? Y'all getting on my nerves down there. Amen. That's what we would have did. <clears throat> the gospel, John chapter 3, excuse me, I did both. John, John chapters 3, we're actually going to be in John chapter 15 today. John chapter 3 verses, I mean, excuse me, John's, John chapters 3 and 4 is what I did next. I combined the two of them. The gospel is an equalizer. And that's when we talked about how Jesus lowered Nicodemus and raised the lady at the well. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, the gospel creates a gray area. And this is when I explained the other week that most, well, I don't want to say most, a lot, lots of people don't use John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 because it's not in our earliest manuscripts. But I, I love it because it, 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 it definitely shows a, a wonderful heart of the gospel. And, it's, and it was still accepted by the early church as well. It's just not in our earliest of manuscripts. But, again, that's something a bit more difficult to explain in a church setting. We would have to, 
I could spend 16 weeks on that, what, what that is as well. Uh, 16 weeks is a, is a semester. That's why I keep saying 16 weeks. <laughs> That's why that, that number comes out for a reason. Does that make sense now? Yeah. <laughs> Semesters are 16 weeks. <clears throat> so when I say 16 weeks, that's why I'm saying that. Now, now we're at John chapter 15. But let me repeat these things one more time without the scriptures because I want to give you a total picture. <clears throat> Basically, our question is, what's the gospel? And what would be the message of the New Testament? Testament? If it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is important because I just proved the whole lot. And, and, and in fairness, well, I'll, I'll get to the unfairness in a little bit. So it's important that we understand that you can't just one-line the gospel. God did way too much for you to just say death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what you do is you put his death in more prominence or value than his life. And we need the both. Amen. We need both his death and his life. Does that make sense? There's some stuff that you're going to go through that you're going to know that Jesus died. And that's going to get you through because they persecuted him. You're going to be able to take your own persecution. Amen. There's going to be some stuff which you need to know that since he rose from the dead, that's going to get you through. Since he rose from his problems, God will raise you from your problems. Does that make sense? That is a thing. But then there's some stuff that, and, and, and here's the problem. Well, here's my, now this is, this is actually my first time I'm giving my opinion in all these 20 weeks. Here's, here's my opinion of the problem. We got a lot of Christians so focused on his death and his resurrection that that's the savior part. And so we don't respect the life part because we're so focused on the death and resurrection part. But in his life, he taught us how to live. Amen. So this is when we got the thing I always say, we want Jesus to be our savior, but not our Lord, because we're so focused on the savior part. We're not worried about how he treated his mother, how he treated his brothers, how you understand what I'm saying? So we need his life because it was in his life as a man. Now, he was also God as well, but he fulfilled God's covenants as a man. And that's is what made God not a liar. It's important because John, excuse me, Paul is going to defend like the entire books of Romans, book of Romans is an, it's an incredible theological treatise, treatise that defends God's honor or the or way, way Paul said, says it, um, his righteousness. I almost said it in Greek, but this is a different sentence. His righteousness. He's literally defending God's righteousness because here's the deal. God let us down. He didn't, he, he, he forgot about us. He, he did not keep his promises the way he said. Rome's still over us. Jesus is dead. Everything is a mess. And Paul says, no, everything is exactly the way it should be. <laughs> because we won the war. It was just a spiritual war. We, we, we are not a slave just because Rome is over us. Our souls are now with the Lord. Does that make sense? They're no longer with the prince of evil. They're with the prince of peace. That made me feel real good. And so Paul is, is, is defi- he's defending all the gospel through his letters. And so he says, we still have one God. We still have the one God. It's now you just can identify the one God with also being God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. So all this is important. All this here makes sense. Now, <clears throat> oh, let, let me repeat. So here it is in order very, very quickly. 
whatever this gospel is. Gospel is the kingdom. Gospel is continuity. The gospel is genealogy. The gospel is God on earth. The gospel is fulfillment and recapitulation. The gospel is heaven and earth and the triumph of the second Adam. The gospel is Jesus is the first to proclaim it. The gospel is relatable. The gospel is secret. The gospel is war. The gospel is the arrival of the king. The gospel is something we do not deserve. The gospel is already being was already being taught. The gospel is the promised king. The gospel has a lot of cost. The gospel has a, and a, a specific intent. The gospel has proof. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is grace. The gospel is an equalizer. The gospel creates a gray area. And today, the gospel is Jesus is the true Israel. Amen. Amen. We're going to sum it all up today. Okay? Was that, that was a big mouthful, right? All of it, but I want, I want to say all these 20 weeks have been for a purpose. They have been for me to show you that the gospel is just way more than just the death part of Jesus Christ. It was also the life part of Jesus Christ. But it was way before Jesus was born in the earthly form, because he was already was, always has been, always will be. Amen? But in his earthly body, the gospel existed before then too. Okay? The church may not have existed in Acts chapter 2, depending on your theology and where you fall. But the gospel was in the beginning, and the word was God, and the word was with God. I'm trying to help somebody, amen? It doesn't, if Jesus is the gospel, before you ever sinned, the Lord provided the gospel. Before you ever needed it, the Lord had it ready. I'm trying to help somebody, amen? Does that make sense? That's your power and might of God. Before the world ever existed, the gospel existed. Do you get it? He gets it, Amen. That's powerful because because God would cease to exist. God would cease to be God if we sin and he had to create the gospel. Does that make sense? Because that means that means our sin caught him by surprise. If if God had to react to our sin by saying, "Okay, let me institute this gospel. That means God was not all knowing. And how can he continue to be God? If the Garden of Eden caught him by surprise. Amen. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to prove to you in all these weeks <coughs> that the gospel is way more than the cross, although that's important. The gospel is way more than Jesus living on earth, though that's very important. The gospel had already been. And then what God did was his work through the garden. The gospel is the Garden of Eden. The gospel is also the nation of Israel. It's also sick little kids who would never be able to talk. It is also uh, children with Down syndrome. The gospel is people who have never heard the gospel ever and who never will be because they would die before they ever get a chance. Yet the gospel will still be revealed to them because God is the gospel. And God is not surprised that we have people who would never hear his word because we haven't got there yet. Does that make sense? God is also not surprised that from 500 A.D. roughly to about 1521 A.D. roughly that most of the people, actually all the people who heard the gospel, they heard it in Latin. But the whole world was not Latin. You understand what I'm saying? People were German. People were Asian. Matter of fact, the gospel didn't even get to the Asian uh, part of the world just yet. As a matter of fact, today the Asian church is booming and big, being bigger and faster than any other church alive. The gospel is so powerful that we now statistically have more Christians alive at one time today in the 21st century that has ever been alive in the history of mankind. Amen. That's powerful. And that's the gospel. That there are more people living 
preaching and proclaiming and confessing Jesus Christ right now than there has ever been, that have ever lived since the world has started. That's the gospel. That's important. It's very important that you understand that, that before <coughs> we needed it, God already had it. Now, does that sound like God? Now, that sounds more like God to me, that he, he knew we was going to need it, and he already had it because he already was, always was, always will be. Amen? All right. <laughs> now, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. <coughs> good to see you, Pastor Tiffany. You're looking good. Good to see you. Good to see you. Did a wonderful job yesterday. If y'all missed his sermon, wonderful job. Wonderful job. It was, it, was, it was nice and tight. I think he was up there 15, 20 minutes. It was all right. Amen. Amen. It was powerful. It's powerful when you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you preach your mother-in-law's wedding. I mean, wedding, funeral. But you know what? It was a wedding. Ain't that what you said? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. Amen. He said God's going to come back and marry us all, those who believe. Amen. So my, my, my slip was actually part of your sermon. Amen. It, it was a wedding. It wasn't no funeral. We was in here getting married. <laughs> Amen. He was officiating the wedding ceremony. Wonderful job. Wonderful job. John chapter 15, I want to read a few verses, um, 1 through 17 is what I need to get to. I'm going to read a few verses. I, I, I don't have time to read all of them because I just gave like a 20-minute introduction, but I want to read a few verses. But this is what you already know. You've, there's no way, you, you can't, like, you can, you can be unchurched and you know that Jesus uses I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of heaven. <clears throat> and this is the last one. In which Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine. You've heard this here. You, there's no way, if you've, got, if you've got a pastor worth his salt, he's told you that Jesus is the true vine. Abide in me as, and you can be able to live. And I'm going to read these things, right? And so here's the deal. <clears throat> this true vine means one thing. Jesus is the true Israel. Like, this is powerful. Because remember, the gospel only, let me not say that. The gospel only exists because Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, made, made sure that that was in the beginning. But the gospel is a fulfillment, a continuation of the work of the nation of Israel. Is We only got to be able to receive it because of the nation of Israel, because none of us are Hebrew. So Israel is a huge part of the gospel, because without God picking a... There were no Israelites. There were no gods chosen. Everybody on earth was dying, going to hell, and all of them were Gentiles outside the ark of safety. And God uh, arbitrarily, if you will, picked Abraham. Until then, everybody was a Gentile. Does that make sense? There were no Jews and Gentiles. Everybody was a Gentile until the Lord in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 said, Abraham, you are the one. And I'm going to do a great work through you. So Israel is important. And when Jesus Christ says, well, listen, if you thought that was important, you need to understand that I am important. And where the Israelites and where the Abrahamic promise is important, I am the true important. Does that make sense? Amen. Where you got life because you were from Israel, you now get life because you're in me. Let's, let's read it. Let's, let's watch out. Fact. In fact, let me, uh, let me, I'm going to read, I might read all that. Let me see. I am the true vine, verse 1. My father <coughs> is the gardener. He cuts off every branch to me that does not bear good fruit. Now go down to verse 3 for me because I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit. <clears throat> you are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Now watch it. Remain joined to me. And I believe King James says abide in me and I will abide in you. Amen. No, no. 
branch can bear fruit by itself. Watch it. It must remain joined to the vine. In the same way, you can't bear fruit unless, what did it say? You abide in me. Amen, right? <laughs> you, listen, you can't, this tree can't have any life unless it's connected to the vine. Just like the world can't have any life unless it's connected to Israel. Just like you, Israelites, can't have any life unless you're connected to me. I wish I had somebody. Like, whatever you think life is, if it ain't coming through me, by me, and for me, it's not life at all. You're going to get cut off by my gardener father. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. And so let's go down to verse 5. I am the vine. Now, you need to understand. Jesus is purposely using these I am statements <coughs> because the Israelites are very in tune with their story. They understand that when Moses asks uh, God, well, who are you? He, they understand that God said, I am that I am. And so Jesus is using the same I am to say, well, I am. <laughs> I'm not, you, do you remember that I am you've been preaching about generation after generation after generation that God well guess what I am God and through me there is you and if you don't have me you don't have nothing Amen. does that make sense and this, and, and, and this is why I like being conservative and this is why I like conservative theology because if it ain't in the Bible it just shouldn't be preached Amen. does that make sense this, that's just how I feel and so don't tell me that it's another way if it ain't through Jesus. Amen. Does that make sense? Am I in the right church talking like that? <laughs> Jesus Christ is saying, now I'm not saying God may not have no other methods or whatever to get you to Christ. That ain't my business. My business is to tell you if it ain't through Christ, it ain't nothing. Amen. That's it. I'm sure Pastor Timber don't mind that. Amen. All right. This is what we need. And so Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. You are branches. Now he's identified. Listen, I'm the vine, but you're lower than me. Amen. Now, I'm not saying you're insignificant because the tree needs branches. Amen. Like you, you, we can't even be a tree without branches and you can't even have fruit without a tree. And watch what he's getting ready to say. If anyone remains joined to me and I in him, he will bear a whole lot of fruit. Does that make sense? Amen. Of course, you got the other side. Let's go verse seven. If you remain joined to me and my words, and now then this is what Pastor Temple loves to talk about this here, that Jesus Christ is the word and the anointed word, right? You hear Pastor Temple say this all the time. <coughs> so now Jesus is trying to tell you how to remain in him with his words. Does that make sense? Okay, okay, watch. Okay, now let's go to verse 8. When you bear lots of fruit, it will bring glory to my father, it shows you that you're my disciples. So listen, whatever this gospel is, which we have clearly defined, you must have fruit of the gospel. You cannot plead, according to this text, okay, if you take out, if you, if you never have Hebrews to tell you that without faith it's impossible to please God, is not faith one of those fruits? Amen? If you never have Hebrews, if you never read it before ever in your life, here, the gospel of John is telling you the same thing Hebrews is saying. Let's read it again. When you bear a lot of fruit, it brings glory to God. So it's impossible to please God without good fruit. Amen. Did that make sense? Yeah. So, so you don't need to run the Hebrews. I'm not telling you not to run the Hebrews. I'm just saying that the word is the word wherever you read it at. 
Amen. Look, look, uh, uh, pastor friend of mine says it this way. If you prick the Bible, it ought to bleed Jesus. No matter where you prick it at, Jesus is going to bleed. Does that make sense? Okay, amen. No matter, you can go Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm. If you prick it, it ought to bleed Jesus. Amen. Now, here's what I really want to get you to. Verse 14. But 15 is what I really want to get you to, and I'm done in the next two and a half, two and a half, maybe five minutes. Verse 14 says, you, well, actually, let's go up to 13. No, no, 14 is right where I want to be at. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, I want to show you, I'm going to read 15, and I want, to, I want to make 15 drive home to you. I want to make it fit, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to forget what is, if, if, if you miss anything else, you need to hear what's coming next. I want you to see how Jesus Christ administered his gospel. And if we can do this as a church, we won't even need 20 weeks of lessons. For us, we can go out and give it to the world through actions. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ says in verse 14 that you are my friends if you do what I command. And this is, this is interesting because... Y'all understand Jesus now, and we, but you're not, you're not thinking in the way you should be thinking as what kings are. You're not a king's friend. You're my subject. I'm the king. Bow. Is that, is that, is that not the way it works? You, you were not born uh, with this royalty birthright that I have. I'm the king. Bow, peasant. Does that make sense? You're, you're my subject. I've walked into the building. Everyone should bow. I run all of this. Wherever your eyes can see, that is under my power and authority. And if I choose to whip you with scorpions, amen. I'm actually in the Bible now, right? Amen, right? That's <laughs> Second Samuel. If I choose to whip, well, first, first Kings, if I choose to whip you good, like Solomon did, you know, if I choose, I mean, excuse me, Rio Boham, if I choose to do you like that, that's what I'm going to do. Amen. Because I'm the king. I don't have to be your friend. I'm the king. Amen. I am owed respect because I was born to have it. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, doesn't John spend a lot of time tell you that Jesus was born as a king and he is supposed to be respected? But then Jesus flips it and says, yes, all this kingly language, my Christ means king. You should bow. But I came here to make you a friend. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That makes me so happy. Now, read verse 15, and I might quote it in King James because I showed them I've got to memorize in King James. It says, if, I mean, I do not call you servants anymore. That's slaves, okay? We like to, we like to, that's, that's, that word is doulos, okay? That word is doulos in Greek. <coughs> it means slaves, but since slaves have such a negative connotation in 21st century world, we don't like to put slaves, we like to put servants, Amen. Okay, like bond servant. We, we like to ease that thing up. I don't have a problem with that, but can I bring it back to you in its original context? Jesus Christ is literally using harsh words. He's saying, no longer do I come here to call you subjects of mine. I come here to call you friends. Because friends, servants, do not know what their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. I've told you everything I have learned from the Father. This is powerful. This is where we end. This is, this is where we end the entire 20-week series that we've done. Jesus Christ 
this king that should be bowed, worshipped, they should wash his feet. Yet we find in the Gospels, he's washing other people's feet. And see, Peter gets this here because Peter's getting ready to make a confession. Hold on, because you're the king. Well, I, I can't. Peter understands. Peter's not trying to be disrespectful. He's wrong because his, his pride isn't letting him do what the king is telling him to do. But Peter understands that I can, I, you are the king. I bow to you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This war is fought by me bowing to you. It's powerful. Because the mere fact that God, if, if, if I had to sum up the gospel in this last two minutes, <clears throat> in my own words, God submitted to you before you ever submitted to him. Amen. That's powerful. In fact, God, he doesn't, because if I was God, I wouldn't bow down to nobody. Let me just tell you, uh, I'm still of the flesh, and I got an ego like nobody else's business. If I made this world... If I was in charge of you, and if I can control you, and if I can make you go to hell, and if I could, and I gave you everything else, are you still complaining? I ain't, but I, I'm done. I'm, I'm cutting you off. I, I tried. I, I gave him 80, 86 years. 86 years of chances. I can't give him no more. That, that's me. Amen. But every time you mess up, God loves you more. Amen. And that's important. That's powerful. It's important because before you ever bowed and submitted to him, he submitted to you because you were too dead. In your sin to submit to him first. So in order for him to, and, I, and I'm, I, know, I know I'm saying submission as God submitting and it sounds so bad, but I want to make it sound bad for you because it's actually how powerful God actually is. He doesn't have to bow. He didn't have to give you grace. He did not have to do these things, but he came here not to run you, but to call you friends. And as Pastor Temple always says, he didn't come here to take your choice. Kings always took away choices. God's the only king who has ever lived that let his people have choice to disobey him. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you are a king like no other king. We've tried kings. We've been kings. We failed as kings. Then again, on the flip side, we tried to listen to kings and we tried to serve kings and we failed that too yet you are a king who has never failed who doesn't have to submit to us evil unworthy worthless always complaining so many different things we can say about us yet you bent to us first so we can bow to you and that is the gospel that you moved first, way before the cross, way before the nation of Israel, and you used us, dirty, filthy, nasty, complaining men who were five hours and ten hours and two days removed from slavery out of Egypt, and they complained. Send us back to slavery. We'll be better then. And we do the same thing today in the 21st century. And we all deserve to go to hell. But the gospel says you'll give us another chance. And you've done it way before we was born. And you'll do it after we die. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world. Not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as... It almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. 
And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training, and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True, but it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter, and that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there. And that's why you need Zip Recruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that Zip Recruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that Zip Recruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about, well, you go to ziprecruiter.com slash B2B, all spelled the regular way. That's zip, Z-I-P, recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ziprecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ziprecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.